Welcome to In the Pines, a monthly podcast covering the mysterious, weird, and sometimes unbelievable stories that happen in the place where people love to find solace, the great outdoors. My name is Pox Holiday. And I am Nikki, and hello, hello and welcome. Hello, friends. Hello, friends. <laughs> hello, comrades. <laughs> Don't know what that accent was I just had, ah. but you know. Um, can we? Yeah, I don't know why I said quick. comrades. Well, because it sounded almost yeah. Russian, but not quite. So that's probably why. <laughs> Jesus. We're off to a great start, y'all. Perfect. Such a great start. We're just loopy and weird. It seems like anytime we record together, by the way, we're always in the loopy weird mode, even though we are actually, mm-hmm. I think this is the earliest we have ever started recording. Yeah, I thought like about it because I, I could see the sun over my shoulder and I was like, <laughs> when was the last time the sun was out when we recorded? But like uh, per usual, we uh, talked until it's now getting dark. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but but today was the first day that the sun did not set before 5 p.m. So that means we are on the upswing yeah, and spring yeah. is coming uh, and F winter. <laughs> Man, speaking of hours of sunlight, we'll get to that in a minute. Oh gosh, okay. Should we yeah. be afraid? Should well, we? Well, you know, I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's it's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh oh gosh! Should we just get to it then? I vote we do, since we have like literally talked out our assholes for an hour and a half before we started <laughs> recording. So. We'll spare everyone else having to deal with that yeah, because yeah. I will say this: um, this is going to be a long one. So, f- future apologies oh, on my part. Yeah, I saw there were a couple of pitfalls that I could have fallen into in my, during my research, and mm-hmm. so I would just hold back. Uh, you know, I, I think really the big thing is, I mean, this this entire region is interesting. So, what I did was kind of talk about a comprehensive about the region and then also the location. Okay. So before we get to the exact location, I'll, I'm just going to touch on the region first. So what we're going to be talking about is a vast, dry, barren, and sparsely inhabited, very northern part of Canada that contains three territories. Yes. Yukon. Can we, can we first uh-huh. say, before you really get into it, by the way, so disclaimer, we're not in... The United States of America. Oh, yeah, that's right. However, because everything we have done has been the great outdoors in the good old U.S. of A. So we're not in the United States of America. Yeah, USA, USA. We have traveled to another country. These colors don't run. But, (laughs) except they do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we are still in North America, though. So we're, we're... Reaching out, yes. we're, we're we're exploring some northern territories, shall we say? Yeah, I, I was. I think you and I justified it over text at some point in time by saying, I think at some point in times we've introduced this show as the American outdoors. We have, and yes. so this is yeah, this is the North American outdoors. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, no, good <laughs> Sorry point. Sorry to interrupt. Good point. Yeah, no, that, that's very good. Um, so yeah, uh, also happy anniversary. We've gotten into oh, a year. Yes. Oh, Okay, so here we said we're not going to like go on and on, but like, yeah, so by yeah, the time this we drops, are. we'll be at a year, January. <laughs> I was looking today because it popped up in like my Facebook memories mm-hmm. for my personal account. 
January 31st was when we dropped our very first episode. We had teasers leading up to, but the first episode was January 31st. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So happy Anship. Ancha- An- <laughs> I thought you were going to say happy enchilada. <laughs> happy enchilada day. Happy enchilada, everyone. Happy enchilada, a.k.a. Right. happy anniversary <laughs> to us. So, so in other words, maybe we're, we're going on uh, we're going on a tour. Uh, just we're, 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 What am I trying to say? We're, uh, we're, we're going on vacation for our anniversary to we North, are. North, North the border. That is, we are. You know what? That's a very good, that's a good word, very good <laughs> way to put it. We're going on vacation for our, our podcast anniversary, so. Yeah. So where we're going to focus mainly on is the Northwest Territories of Canada. Um, it, uh, it, it's sparsely populated because, <laughs> oh boy, has long cold winters with heavy snow and perpetually frozen soil. (laughs) All right. So I was bitching about winter. (laughs) What we were saying about sunlight. So in June, the capital of the Northwest territories uh, is a place called yellow knife, which is also just badass from the get go. Um, So yellow knife gets about 20 hours of sunlight in June. With basically no real darkness, it's always even like ambient light when the sun's gone. Oh, so, wow. so yeah, so they basically have no 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 darkness for twenty hours. Then in the winter time, the Northwest Territory remains pretty much dark around the clock, with only five hours of daylight, which again is just a, a rising and setting sun. No, um, thank you. So yeah, <laughs> so but here's the thing. Okay, so if you think about where the Northwest Territories, I, I jumped a little bit ahead. But if you think about where they are, they basically are around level with the same uh, latitude line. That uh-huh. uh, is that right, or is that longitude? No, latitude. 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 Yes, yeah, yes, yes, latitude. Way. Yeah. I looked it up, but I knew it. But you're I, like, I, I oh god. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, the same latitude line is like the beginnings of Alaska, and mm. so it's like it's right up there with with that. As far as if you just look to the right, that, there's your Northwest Territories. There's your Yukon. Your and uh, none of it. And, what is uh, it? I think it's none of it. <laughs> That's uh, adorable it sounding. <laughs> is the other part of the territories that's up there? Yeah. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> but the the temperature swings can be ninety degrees in the summertime. Ninety Wait. degrees in the summertime in Northwest Territories. Whenever you get twenty hours of sunlight, I guess it can maybe get up to ninety degrees. Yeah. Um, and then. It can also average negative forty or get down to negative forty oh, in the no. wintertime. Whenever you only no, have five no. hours of sunlight. Yeah. So it, it's 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 it has some pretty wild swings as far as weather goes. Um, let's see. So actually so th- if you think about how big Alaska is, the Northwest Territories are twice the size of Texas. So it's you could fit two Texases inside of the Northwest Territories, oh, and wow. they and they creep a little bit above that next latitude line that Alaska kind of ends at, and creeps into uh, you know heading towards Santa's workshop. Uh, in fact, that Yellowknife is only nineteen hundred miles from the North Pole. Whoa! Yeah, so it's not even the width, not, not even the distance of the United States from Yellowknife, which is actually in the southern part of the North Northwest Territories, um, mm-hmm. to the North Pole. Oh wow! Um, 
So another thing that popped up that is a favorite topic, or at least to be seems to be a continuing topic in in the Pines podcast episodes, um, Yellowknife is on the shore of the tenth largest lake in the world, um, a, a, a lake called Lake Slave. It looks like slave, and I looked it up, and it's pronounced Slave. Okay. Um, sometimes it's actually spelled Slave with a Y. Um, but uh, I looked it up and I actually listened to someone pronounce it. So <laughs> I, I apologize if I'm saying it wrong. So that's 10th largest lake by volume. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, we go back to Lake Tahoe, and I think Lake Tahoe was 13th by volume or somewhere around there. It was in the top okay. 20 in the, in, in the world by volume because okay. remember it was like so many so far deep. And so, yeah. but what's crazy is inside, uh, or actually north of, north of Yellowknife is the world's eighth largest lake by volume yes what and this is the largest lake that's actually continuously surrounded by canadian border um if you look at the if you look at the great lakes obviously those are large enough that um but they share a border with the united states so they don't count those as the largest canadian lakes so yeah so um so yeah these two are inside and one is the eighth largest and one is the tenth largest the eighth largest is called great bear lake um, and again, these are the eighth largest uh-huh. by volume. Um, so um, the other cool thing about about this place is, along with Finland, the Northwest Territories are a destination for people who want to watch the Aurora Borealis or the Northern Lights. Um, oh, it basically yeah. sits like underneath, like the it's called the Maximal Oral Activity Band of Maximal Oral Activity. It's called the Oral Oval, and it's basically directly underneath um, where you can see it really well. People say you can see the shining Aurora Borealis on an average of 200 nights per year. So, um, oh wow. yeah, the best time is between mid-August to September and mid-November until April. Oh, wow. Some of the issues about the Northwest Tor- Territories, um, I, I, I actually tried my best to go out and search for life in... The Northwest Tor- Territories, trying to find people like to find a pros and cons. And it was so funny mm-hmm. because a few of the lists, literally the pros were also the cons. And be- <laughs> because, makes sense. <laughs> After doing research, yeah, it makes because sense. Because in Yellowknife, yeah, there's plenty of shopping. There's plenty of this. There's plenty of that. But once you get outside of these large cities which by large cities i think it might have forty-three thousand people or 30 to fifty thousand people at most around Yellowknife. um uh-huh. once you get outside of that most of your stuff is getting to you by air because mm-hmm. um they actually do have ice road trucks like ice road truckers they Ooh. they have areas of like to for commerce they have to go over some fr- frozen rivers and lakes to um to connect roads that are otherwise yeah. cut off by snow and ice and all kinds of other things. And so, yeah, so pretty much everything's airborne. If we think about this area, it, 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 you know, it's up in the northwest part of Canada. But when mm-hmm. you think about where the Ice Age happened, the Ice Age came down, but it actually didn't go as far west as the Northwest Territories. So okay. whatever structures had developed, um, um, geological structures had developed through that time, basically laid just completely still. Nothing happened to them because the glaciers didn't oh, wow. basically wipe away and erase or push all the rock around. So it didn't come uh-huh. down as far. There are some glaciers in there. There's four large yeah. glacial 
valleys that are now just valleys in there um, that cut through and create some of these crazy limestone caves that are inside of there, um, which I bet might come up. I don't know. When it was the, how the Northwest Territories were formed were when the North American and the Pacific tectonic plates came together. They just smushed mm -hmm. together, and that's and basically, I, I don't know if it was a subduction or whatever, but 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 I'm getting ahead of myself again because that area was home to a 3.7 mile deep layer of sediment from, and I always forget the name of it, but that that in that great inland sea that used to be, mm -hmm. you know, all the way down to like the Baja yeah, Peninsula, yeah. basically, you know. So yeah. whenever that thing drained out, um, it left a 3.7 mile deep layer of sediment. That's insane. Yeah, just compacted, 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 compacted over years and years and years. And so once that thing drained out, it was just left alone. Well, then when the tectonic plates kind of smashed together, it pushed all that sediment up and created these huge sedimentary mountains. And yeah. Then there's no ice age coming over and smashing everything, no, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of sits there. Well, what had happened was also underneath it, the magma had pushed up through the cracks, but it didn't expose through the sedimentary rock because it was like 3.7 miles deep or whatever. It just kind of pushed up. Yeah. Well, sedimentary rock, what does it do? It always erodes very quickly. So, so yeah. that's why there are these huge granite cliffs called the Ragged Range in that area. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So they just like wow. they did. Yeah. So like they didn't come up and just like create these big mountains. It just kind of happened over time. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. So uh, let's see. The dean. Uh, there, there, there's a there's a group of people that uh, have lived around that area uh, for about nine to ten thousand years, and they were called the dean. Um, mm -hmm. They're the first human occupants uh, of the area. Let's see. There's evidence of prehistoric human use of the area found uh, at Yohin Lake and a few other sites uh, in the area. And, and, and the area I'm talking about now is, is actually the uh, Nahani National Park. And the Nahani National Park is established in 1976. But um, so around that area, um, there were some – the way they were able to create it as a, as a park was because they found prehistoric human use – and a few sites within the park that they could go back to nine to ten thousand years, um, and mm -hmm. it also makes reference to this group called the Naha tribe, and they were mm -hmm. a mountain-dwelling people who would raid settlements uh, in adjacent lowlands, and then they're said to have just disappeared out of nowhere. Oh, and I'll talk about the Naha tribe also, actually. So. First contact with European fur traders uh, expanded to the region happened around the 18th century. Yeah, you know, basically just a bunch of white people came in and wanted to do, you know, basically take fur, a bunch of other different things. The Nahani National Park is, I, I, I didn't see this until I was getting ready to read it. It is a 470,000 hectares of undisturbed natural land. And if people don't know what a hectare is, that's 10 square acres. And, oh, well, uh, thank you, because I did not know what a hectare was. <laughs> I, I will not even lie to you. I had to look it up many years ago because there's a uh -huh. there's a very funny moment in The Simpsons when Homer has to buy a very cheap car, and he buys it from a guy who sounds like it, it was made it was made before the Berwyn Wall fell. 
when he's buying it from mm-hmm. this guy and uh and he goes how's the gas mileage he goes it gets uh it gets <laughs> it gets 40 kilometers per hectare and it was like hectare oh, gosh. <laughs> it was like hectares you <laughs> know it gets it gets 30 hectares or something i don't know so i had looked it up yeah. many many years ago and i was like oh hectares 10 <laughs> that's 10 acres. what that is <laughs> yeah anyway um so yeah so it's a giant place uh, established in 1976 uh then it was inscribed on the world heritage list in 1978 um just filled with of a lot of unique things like these limestone cave systems huge waterfalls there's actually a set of waterfalls in there that are twice the size of uh niagara what the one waterfall that is that they talk about the what's it called it's virginia falls right or virgin virginia or elizabeth or I, I think like it's virginia that. falls yeah and it's i think it's the one that's twice the length of niagara and i saw a picture or a video of it holy smokes it's amazing looking yeah yeah it just looks yeah. it looks just it's yeah. just one of those you look at you're like oh that's that's a lot of water that's powerful according to parks canada there are 42 mammal 180 bird, 16 fish, and a few amphibian species found in the park. As of 2009, there showed 10 species that were on a status of endangered wildlife in Canada. They had special concern, threatened, or endangered, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) It's just, it's a lot of mumbo-jumbo there. But these are the uh, common nighthawk, the grizzly bear, the olive-sided flycatcher, the peregrine falcon, the rusty blackbird, Short-eared owl, hmm. wood bison, woodland caribou, wolverine, and yellow rail. Mm-hmm. There's also wolves. Oh, there's sheep and mountain goats are found. It's also not uncommon in the northern part of the territories to actually see musk ox. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, not necessarily in the park, but like in national in, in, in the in the northwest territories, it's, it's in in the further north part, probably of mm-hmm. the. There's actually because part of the Northwest Territories are above the Arctic Circle. Okay. Um, just a very small segment of them are above there. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think I did enough talking. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's just basically just like this, you know. Just this, it just it, it sounds beautiful, and then when you see the photos, it looks beautiful. Oh, it's yeah. Yeah, and then you get to this section that just says mysteries of and you have to stop reading yeah <laughs> so no, yeah it, so that's my little introduction for the nahani national forest good national job Park, excuse me no, good job good job and it is like it is the because i watched a couple youtube videos on it because i didn't wait completely till today but just for the most part to put this together but i did watch a couple videos about nahani last night and like when i say it's gorgeous it is Stunning. Like, we know I'm obsessed with Yellowstone National Park. I love it. I want to go to it, right. obviously. But, I mean, it, some of the the sites up there puts Yellowstone to shame. And Yellowstone's gorgeous, in my opinion. But, holy smokes. That up there is just... I think because it's so wild and it's like nobody goes there, it just makes it even more magical, in my opinion. But that's just me. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I just I didn't know much about the Northwest. I mean, I heard of Mm-mm. I'd heard of them before, but I didn't no. really know much about them. And I mm. and I I didn't actually imagine there being people there. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, not, you know, I, I obviously I knew people were there, but I didn't expect it actually to be as many people that were there. 
Yeah. Well, I think I saw one thing that the total population is 50,000, around 50,000 for the whole Northwest Territories. And it was, to put it in perspective, it said something like, you know, it's Germany has a population of whatever million it is. I think it's like 8 million or something like that. Or 80 million. I don't know. Anyways. And then it said, but the Northwest Territories is double the size of Germany with a population of only 50,000. I was like, good God, that's insane to think, like, that few people. But then again, it's like, it's not a very, like, hospitable place to live, you know? No. It's, it's extreme. So. But I just, I just did, like, a just real quick Google search, and it says... As of 2019, there are 44,826 people in in the Northwest Territories. And believe it or not, there's actually, every year, there's been an increase in population. Really? I guess people just like want to go out in the great outdoors and they're like, let's do it. Yeah, there's like a couple of dips every once in a while, but every year it keeps going up, keeps going up. But um, I wonder what 2020 did to that. I wonder how many people were like, I'm out of here. I'm going to the Northwest Territories. Uh, (laughs) You know, I never thought of that. That's probably like people were like, yeah, okay, we're going like somewhere far away from everybody or something. So I found another stat here. that says it's only at 45,000 as a 22. But but still, that's that's a lot of people. Um, But I think I think, again, I think a lot of them live in Yellowknife or a couple of little small yeah. small towns that make up ten five thousand or whatever but yeah, yeah imagine just getting all your stuff delivered via plane yeah that's insane so all right now who likes weirdness me who likes the strange me. who <laughs> likes the unusual me so God bless TikTok because you know what? I was just saying, this came out of nowhere. I, the TikTok, when you asked me, I was like, I don't know anything like, about this. You were like, excuse me? I yeah. was str- I'm not going to lie. I was struggling. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, this and that. I was like, TikTok in one day. And this popped up in my TikTok feed. Like, God bless the algorithm. It knows I like weird ass shit, I guess, or something. So I now present to you the story of Nahani valley national preserve or as the tiktok called it the valley of the headless men oh yeah buckle up buttercup (laughs) it's it's a wild ride all right men vanish in that country and down the river they say it's a damned good country to keep clear of these were the words of advice about the now nahani national park preserve that were given to british writer and explorer Raymond Patterson before he set out to the Nahani region from Fort Smith in 1927. Now known as the Nahani National Park Preserve, or excuse me, Reserve, this area of land lies, like you said, in one of the most remote areas of Canada, the Northwest Territories, and has been shrouded in mystery ever since the first human set foot in this breathtaking and terrifying valley. So, first we're going to start out with the early humans, okay? And you kind of covered this a little, bur- a little bit already. Like you said, the so it's the pronunciation is Dean, right? Yeah, that's what I okay. saw. So, like you said, the Dean people have used the lands around Nahani National Park Reserve for thousands of years. Um, and as you said, also, the first possible human, like, occupation within the area was like nine to ten thousand years ago um and there is evidence of prehistoric use however 
as you also, I believe, said, the Dean um, nor any other tribe has actually ever permanently settled in this area. They've traveled through it, you know, they've hunted the lands and so on and so forth, but nobody has actually settled there for like long term settlement. Um, and part of that reason, it's because it's so rugged, so wild, it's unforgiving terrain. Um, and it makes it difficult to do so. You can't really, if you're in a very inhospitable place, you can't very well settle and stay there for the rest of your life or for generations, you know? Um, but the Dean, as well as other indigenous groups, uh, speak of the fact that the Nahani Valley is also haunted or cursed. So it's not just the fact that it's inhospitable. They believe that there's a curse or hauntings on the land. Um, either way, according to the native people of the Nahani Valley, there is something evil lurking in these forests. But local oral, oral history of the Dean goes more in depth and contains many references to another tribe that you mentioned, the Naha tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, the Naha were a mountain dwelling people who used to raid settlements in the adjacent lowlands. Um, it's said that they are they were very hostile. They did not get along with any other tribes. Um, and they would literally just come down off the mountains and into the plains and just ravage everything and kill. Um, and they actually quickly became the Dean's main em- enemy. However, as you also said, the Naha people up and like quickly and mysteriously disappeared, disappeared like out of nowhere. Um, and apparently right. the disappearance happened pretty much overnight. So it wasn't like a gradual, like they kind of faded out. It was just like one day they're here the next day. They're not. You so. know, it's weird. Like, uh, and you know, when I worked in New Mexico, the Anasazi were the same way. Oh like yeah. They, yeah. I've heard about the Anasazi before. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they like, you know, just that was, disappeared. The, they was the Anasazi. They were the ones that had the cl- cliff dwellings, right? Is that right? Am I thinking um, correct? I don't remember. Like at Mesa Verde. Yeah, um, yeah. They had yeah. like the towns that within a, the cliffs. Is that I them? don't remember if they were Anasazi or not. I, 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 I know what you're talking about, but I cannot remember if that was Anasazi or not. Oh, gotcha. Um, but, like I said, they pretty much disappeared overnight. It wasn't a gradual, they're out. Um, and when the Naha people left... They completely abandoned their camps and left behind shelter, food, and supplies. So, a little strange there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple different theories about what happened to them, including the possibility that they might have just up and migrated elsewhere. It says died slowly of diseases, but if that was the case, it wouldn't be just a, you know, one day they're here, next day they're not. Right. Plus, where would all those bodies go? Um, or they simply chose to live in seclusion somewhere. Those are all possibilities, but it's just speculation. Nobody knows for sure. And mystery still surrounds the Naha, but no trace of them has ever been found. Um, and really the only way we, we, I think they found some, you know, archeological ways that they've seen them and whatnot, if that makes sense. Um, but a lot of what we know about the Naha is mm-hmm. through the oral histories that the Dean has passed down. So, but disappearance of the Naha tribe would only be the very beginning of what we would call strange and unusual. And it would also only be the beginning of gruesome things that have happened in this beautiful and virtually untouched valley. So now we move into the section that I lovingly named white men doing what white men do, because Mm -hmm. 
what are white men gonna do? <clears throat> colonize. They go and colonize. They go and come and try to take over the land and get all the resources they can and drain them from the rename land. Rename it. They're going to rename it to a white man's version. You name it. So. Mm-hmm. A lot of firsts start happening. A lot of what? Furs? A lot of firsts. Firsts. Got yeah, you. Yeah, you know, like the first person to climb this, the first oh, yeah, person first to climb person that. Oh, yeah, first person that did this. Like, yeah, no, no. The first white guy white to climb person. this. Yes. <laughs> so. Come with me into the section called White Men Doing What White Men Do, Shall You? So in 1905, gold prospectors and brothers, Willie and Frank McLeod, embarked on a mission into the Nahani Valley in search of gold. This was a mission that they would never return from alive. So the expedition Mm -hmm. in, yeah, the expedition in 1905 was not the first that the brothers had decided to embark on, though. Um, lured by reports of gold in the area, brothers Frank and Willie McLeod, along with their older brother Charlie, um, journeyed from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, in the Honey Range in 1904, so a year prior, in search of the gold that they had heard talked about in the Nahani Valley. Because there had always been kind of reports that there was gold, but nobody had actually been up there, but it was also kind of like... One, we're in Gold Rush area in this time, you know, early 1900s. But um, Mm -hmm. some of the other places kind of in that area-ish of Canada um, were also like big hotspots for gold and for gold prospectors. So these three brothers said, hey, you know what? Nobody's ever checked out the Nahani Valley. Let's go and try it out and see what we can find. Right. So, like I said, in 1904, they set off traveling with primitive gear, and they pretty much traveled hundreds of kilometers using train, sled dogs, boats, and even on foot. And it was all done during a super cold winter, um, and they did this until they reached the Flat River. Um, which, by the way, Flat River is a very deceptive name because it is most certainly not flat. <laughs> it is probably from my research apparently it's one of the more like rapid heavy slash rougher rivers up in the northwest territory so why it's named flat river i I don't i ain't got a clue but it's not flat so john flat probably (laughs) probably (laughs) so the three brothers they make their way up the flat river until they finally find a spot along it to stop um and set up camp and start looking for gold Um, And the brothers reportedly struck it rich almost instantly. So they got out and they have what's called, what is it? A gold sluice is what they would use. So it's kind of like this big metal thing. Yeah. Like a long metal tray type thing. And it sits on, I love how I'm doing like, I'm visually showing you. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. the listeners are not going to be able to see a damn thing I'm talking about. So it kind of sits up um, at an angle. looks like you're dabbing. Yes. I'm looking. So imagine dab. That's the gold sluice. <laughs> and one end sits up at an angle. The other end sits down at the bottom. And it's got like screens and filters on it. And you basically, you like dig out a bunch of the soil and put it in the top and kind of let it strain down and all that fun stuff. So that's what a gold sluice is. And it, it filters out to where you find the gold. Mm-hmm. So they find this spot of land. They stop. They set up camp. And like I said, they struck it rich almost instantly after they had set up their sluice and started actually mining for gold 
Um, and as a result, they were able to fill up all the containers that they had brought with them to hold what gold they would find. And so once they filled up these containers after, I think it was just a few days from what I read, they decided, hey, we're going to go ahead, pack up our camp because it's just a, a little temporary camp they had. And we're going to head back home so we can, you know, sell this off, get some better supplies, so on and so forth. Right. So once they had those supplies, they were were going to come back and they were going to prospect for more, more gold since they knew they had hit like a, a really good honey hole, essentially. So they pack up, they leave all that good stuff. And on their journey back up or down the flat river, I don't know, on their journey back on the flat river, which again is most definitely not a flat river in its, you know, rapids galore. They actually found themselves in really treacherous waters because of, you know, time of the year it was, water had come up in the, yeah. the couple days they'd been there, so on and so forth. Um, and, and one more challenging set of rapids that they encountered, the boat that was carrying the men, all their supplies, all their gold, ended up capsizing, oh. breaking apart. Um, and the majority of their boat sunk. Um, some of it didn't. But with their boat went most of their supplies, or a good chunk of their supplies, and all that gold gone, mm -hmm. too. What they decided to do, they made it to shore, all that fun stuff. They decided to take the pieces of the boat that hadn't sunk or hadn't got washed down, um, as well as they cut up some trees nearby and, you know, lumbered them down and all that good stuff. And made a new boat so they could head back to where their site was, kind of give themselves a couple of days to like, you know, regroup and all that good stuff. Um, and they were going to mine some more gold since they had just lost all that they had. However, this time when they made it back to the camp, they were unable to find any gold at all. So they found all this bunches of gold and they filled up all their containers. But when they went back that second time, none, not a zip zilch zero. Jeez. Yeah. So because of that, they decided they were just going to go ahead and pack up the next day and head on back home. So when they got back home, William Frank, the two younger brothers, instantly started talking about how they wanted to head back to the Honey Valley. And they, you know, they wanted to find gold that they knew was there because they had found it initially. They just lost it. Yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie, however, being the older, wiser sibling... I say as the eldest sibling in my family, because we're always the smartest one out of the whole group. Um, Charlie said, nah, I'm good. And he decided he was happy to make it back alive and was definitely going to sit this one out. Because, again, the oldest sibling is the smartest one. I'm just saying. So, sorry, all you younger siblings. Sorry to my younger <laughs> sisters that listen. So, um, so... <laughs> William Frank worked over the next several months preparing their for their trip back to the Nahani Valley and back to their big old gold jackpot. All right. So I'm getting a drink. White claw. No. Sweet tea. <laughs> I wish it was a white claw. So the McLeod brothers were finally able to head back off into the Nahani Valley back or back in in 1905 um and since charlie was not coming along with them he they brought along with them another man a friend of theirs named robert weir so the mcleod brothers and weir 
Didn't tell anyone how long they were going to be gone for because they had planned to set up a semi-permanent camp once they made it up to the Nahani Valley in hopes that they could gather as much gold as possible. And so due to this lack of a timeline for their return, their brother Charlie, who, like I said, he stayed back because he's the smart one because he's the oldest. Um, he wasn't worried mm-hmm. if it took him a while to come back from their expedition. He figured that the three of them would be up there at least through the next summer and maybe longer. But weeks turned into months, then into over a year that the McLeod brothers and Weir had been gone. But Charlie, along with other people that knew the plan, still weren't concerned. They were like, okay, they're fine. No biggie, you know. Um, Charlie would even go on to reassure others who knew of the expedition that nothing could go wrong because those three men, you know, they were in the wild they were all very experienced and they had plenty of supplies to help them through like the colder and more challenging months so everything was a okay it's all good don't worry about it um Mm. and charlie was sure that they were probably striking it rich with all the gold they had found and that's why he hadn't you know why they hadn't made it back yet so he was like okay they're cool right right yeah everything's fine (laughs) it's fine what's insert the little meme of the dog uh, the cartoon dog with the fire all around it. It's like, it's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> like, it's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. After two years of not hearing a damn thing from his brothers and Mr. Weir, Charlie feel- finally, finally realizes, hey, you know, I should probably head out to them, you know, find where they're at and just, you know, double check. After two years. Yeah. Two. Two years. Two So he rounded up four other men and formed a search party and headed out to find the men. So once they made it to the Nahani Valley, the search party began their trip up Flat River that, yet again, was not flat at all. And they started looking for, like, any signs of the three men. Uh, The group made it all the way up to the head of the flat river with no signs of human life to be found. So they didn't see a thing where people had been anywhere around there. And then the group, when they reached the head of the flat river, they then went on to the South Nahani River, um, where they went downstream until they reached a big old turn called Big Bend. Um, And this bend then brought them into a stretch of river called Second Canyon. We're going to back up just a titch. Okay, just a itty bit. Along the South Nahani River, there are four canyon passes that the river flows through. Okay, the South Nahani River, I think if I remember correct, is like 350 or 350 feet. Good gosh, 350 miles long. So it's a very long river, Jeez. right? Yeah. yeah, it's it's super long. Um, but like I said, there's four canyon passes that the river flows through. And these passes are appropriately called First Canyon, Second Canyon. Third Canyon and Fourth Canyon. There we go. Keep it simple, stupid. The fact that they are all called Canyon is most definitely appropriate, okay? So, you know how you were talking about with like how the geological formation and all that fun stuff? Mm hmm. So, the walls of these different passes or these different canyons go straight up for thousands of feet. And I mean straight up. Yeah. Like there's not really any edges to the cliff sides. Yeah. And their bottoms. For a lot of them, there's no real places to bring a boat to shore safely because it pretty much is like cliff goes straight into the water. There's not really that little area around the edge of it. Um, And so this can make for very long and tiring stretches on this gorgeous river because it's it's not like it has a couple of stretches that are 
you know, got some rapids, don't get me wrong, but for the most part, it's pretty, like, even-keeled river, at least through these stretches. Um, but Second Canyon that I talked about is probably the most unique and, mo- like, one of the more dangerous of the passes because the cliff sides are literally as sheer and straight up as possible. Like, these are the ones where it's just straight up and goes right into the water. End of story. Um, and in the 10-mile stretch of Second Canyon, there are almost no places, I mean, like, none hardly, to bring your boat ashore and the water itself in that stretch is hundreds upon hundreds of feet deep is what's Jesus. crazy. I even saw one thing that said it was like thousands of feet deep. And I'm like, there's no way the rivers are thousands of feet deep. So I'm just going to go with hundreds for now <laughs> until somebody tells me otherwise. So. I don't know, man. I, when, you, when you think about how quickly that that uh, that inland sea drained, you know, like have you ever seen the videos, or, like the simulations, like how it happened. And, yeah, yeah. Because like the bottom just literally just like falls out of it, you know, and yeah. it just like drains in days. Some something crazy like that, like it's yeah. like just rips through there. I mean, maybe who knows? It just like just yeah, <laughs> just created these crazy wall. Who the hell knows? Yeah. And another really weird part, especially in the second canyon area, another really kind of like Mm -hmm. creepy and strange part of it is so you've got these huge cliff faces that are thousands of feet up right and then like dotted along it which mind you it's just pretty flat straight not a lot of craggly edges and all that there's these just big holes in the sides of them like caves that nobody has really got i mean some of the ones that are lower to the waterline people have kind of got to go in a little bit but like the ones up top and whatnot Nobody's ever actually really got to check them out or anything. Yeah. And so it's said that, like, people have said that, like, when you're going down through there, because you can't tell what's up in these holes, it feels like somebody is constantly watching you. Because, I mean, you're in a very remote stretch in mm-hmm. a very remote part of Canada, and there's just all these holes, and you're like, God, is somebody actually up there? Is something up there? You know? Yeah. So. And it was supposedly full of caves. Yeah, no, it, there's tons of them. Tons through that stretch. Yeah. It's insane. So, as soon as Charlie's search party entered into Second Canyon, it also got much darker and, of course, more o- ominous due to the lack of light getting in because of these high cliffs. So, that's another thing. The cliffs are so high, thousands upon thousands of feet in the air, that mm-hmm. it's really hard for sunlight to reach down into them, even in the sunniest parts of the year, because they're so high. So, it gets naturally gets like much darker when you get into second canyon especially because it's hard for that sunlight to come in so um yeah so towards the end of second canyon on river left so if you're not a you know if you're not a water person river left is literally the left side of the river when you're going downstream the group noticed a large tent and some mining supplies next to the river within the trees Hmm. And so they're like, oh, okay, cool. We've, we found where they're at. You know, we know where their party's at. And maybe they're not right there. Because they didn't see anything. Like, they were kind of far off. They couldn't really see anything. And they were like, oh, we just see it. You know, we're going to go over and just see if it's them. So as soon as the search party hopped right. on land, they noticed that there was a body laying outside of the tent. Oh. When they got up next to the body, they realized that the head was missing and the clothes on this body were completely charred. Okay. So if that's not weird enough for you, the most eerie part of finding this body is that the body's right arm was reaching above 
like up above its head uh-huh. towards a nearby tree where there was a rifle laying up against that tree. This leaned back perfectly still. The fuck? So the group then went around. So they see this and they're like, oh my God, what the heck's going on? They then go around towards the back of the tent and found a second body laying halfway out of it. And it had a blanket over it. And when they pulled the blanket back, that body was charred also and was also missing its head. Jesus. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The search party, you know, they they kept looking around after they found these two headless bodies in hopes of finding maybe one, the missing heads, because where the heck are those? And they also wanted to find the third person in their potty party potty. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted to find that third person that was in this group because they only had two bodies, but they didn't know who they were and they still had a third person missing. So the heads, unfortunately, were not found. Um, And the group was able to eventually identify the two bodies that were at the campsite through personal artifacts. And they did identify them as Willie and Frank McLeod. Um, Robert Weir was never. Yeah, Robert Weir was never officially found. However, I think it was like um, months later, like eight or nine months later, skeletal remains were found just downriver on the river right side. Um, but they couldn't identify who it was. It was literally just a couple Bones. pieces of a skeleton, so they didn't know for sure. Give me some of them pieces of skeleton. <laughs> Missing your funny bone. And all the fries you can give me. <laughs> oh, God. So the search party then left the Nahani Valley, and they went and got a hold of the Royal Man of Police and had them come do a formal investigation. Mm-hmm. The police, though claimed through their investigation that the men died of, take a wild guess. Suicide. No. Try again. Uh, Spontaneous combustion. Nope. You get one more shot. Uh, uh, Lightning? No, but you're close when you, because that's a natural cause. Yeah. No, they said, they said the men died of starvation. Jesus. And they also said that animals had scavenged the site and took the heads off the bodies. That's all they took, though. Yeah. 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 Animals hate livers. Makes total sense. Yeah. They they hate organ meat. Yeah. Why wouldn't wouldn't they get organ meat whenever they can get a brain? I don't know. That's still technically, but anyways. Yeah. Um, So Charlie, the oldest brother, because Charlie's smart, because he's the oldest sibling, he, of course, did not believe this, and he called bullshit on it. He had believed that either Native people had attacked the three men or another gold prospector had come in, attacked them, and stolen any gold that had been previously found. Okay? So, once the story of the decapitated men made the news, people went batshit crazy over it. I mean, they went nuts. Because this is the early 1900s, so people are like, what? what is there to even talk about? So we get a story about people getting de- yeah. decapitated up in the Northwest Territories, and they're like, oh, shit. People had actually believed that either Robert Weir had attacked the men or someone or something had attacked the men. Right. Either way, people were terrified of this stretch of the Nahani Valley, and they actually renamed Second Canyon the Valley of the Headless Men or Headless Valley. You know what's funny is in my research, I saw Headless Canyon, and I was like, "Don't click on that." 
Good job. Thank you. <laughs> but here's my thing. Uh, I don't know what uh, what human being at that point in time is going to leave behind a rifle. Exactly. Exactly, Pox. <laughs> I mean, like, who's who's going to leave behind? I mean, unless you're worried about it coming back to you and someone seeing somebody's rifle, unless there was something distinctive yeah. about it or something like that. But I don't know what human being isn't going to steal a rifle at 19-whatever. <laughs> yeah, especially and, the one that and, the one body was literally reaching back for, apparently. You're literally, like, pointing you know? to it, you know? Like, like, yeah, like, bitch, it's right here. <laughs> yeah, one-eyed so, willies pointing right at it yeah. for you there. Like, good God. So, for the most part, though, people stayed away from the Nahani Valley. They were like, F this. It's too crazy. It's not safe. We're not doing it. Right? Yeah. That was until 1913. So apparently in what, uh, by the time they found them was probably 1907-ish. So in six years, nobody learned a lesson and said, maybe we shouldn't go there. Um, so in 1913, yeah, another gold prospector named Martin Jorgensen decided he was not going to let those scary stories stop him from getting gold in the Nahani Valley. He said, I'm going to go get it. It's there. It's mine. Um, and he actually found a spot about 70 miles up from Headless Valley, because we're going to call Second Canyon Head- Headless Valley now, by the way. Um, he found a spot about 70 okay. miles up from that. And he actually built a small cabin and set up his gold mining operation there. Um, and he bro- he built the cabin and stuff uh, because he was supposed to actually meet up with his business partner in this. Um in the following spring. So the cabin was built to ensure that he would have adequate shelter, you know, through that winter when he was up there. Um, as soon as his site was set up, he started mining for gold and he got word back that apparently he had hit a pretty good spot for gold. Um, and Jorgensen made sure that he sent this word back, you know, to his partners that he'd hit it rich, you know, because then that way his partner's like, Hey, cool. I'm definitely going to be so excited to come up there. Right. So when Jorgensen's partners finally headed out to meet up with him in the agreed upon day and place, um, Jorgensen was a no show. Didn't come. They're like, what the heck? Hmm. Um, The partners waited several days for him. And I mean, nothing. They ended up going upstream to the area where they knew he was like, they kind of knew where he was staying and they found the site of the cabin. And once they made it to land, they realized that the cabin had been burnt almost completely to the ground. And outside of it lay the headless body of Martin Jorgensen. So, motherfucker. Yeah. So the partners did what any good group of people do. They said, hey, yo, police, you know, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, get your butts up here. We need you to investigate this. Something's up. Because they remember hearing about the brothers who were found with their heads missing. Yeah. So police did a thorough investigation, but were unable to determine what killed Jorgensen. Um, They also again said that Jorgensen had probably died of natural causes and that animals had scavenged his body, taking away his head. So it's important to note too, that the gold that Jorgensen claimed that he had found was absolutely nowhere to be found. Because remember, he sent back word to his partners and was like, hey, I found all this gold. Can't wait for y'all to get up here in the spring. Mm -hmm. So when they got up there and, you know, everything, no gold around. None. Not even on the site itself, like, to be mined, possibly. So when Jorgensen's death made the news, because 
we're still in the early 1900s. People go ape shit over this kind of stuff. People went nuts again because the nature of, you know, where the body was found and how it was found and condition it was in. And people assumed that there was a killer on the loose up in the Nahani Valley and feared that, I mean, they're like, this is a wild, crazy area. It's even more wild and crazy now because there's some psycho up there chopping heads off people. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. You would think. And here's the worst part. The police didn't try to make a connection between the two at all. The two different instances. So with the McLeod brothers and with Jorgensen, they were like, there's no. Between two headless and charred uh, evidence (laughs) or do the whatever. Yeah. Like they, they were like, there's no connection whatsoever. And it's just like, what? Are you kidding me right now? Come on, dude. (laughs) You would think people are going to probably stay away now. Right. 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 No, they don't. So, seven years later, in 1921, a man named John O'Brien and his partner decided to say, eh, fuck it. (laughs) So, they ignored any rumors about the Nahani Valley, and they head on in to find the mountains of gold that were said to be there. Because all these people are like, yeah, there's gold there. Nobody actually comes back with the gold because they die, but yeah, let's go. So, they set up camp in Headless Valley, not far from where the McLeod brothers were found dead. So, one, why would you do that? Like, why? It makes no sense. No. None. So, at some point during their stay, O'Brien informed his partners that he was going to go check on all the traps that the two had set up along the river. So, they had set up, like, some, like, animal traps for, like, you know, food and all that good stuff. Yeah. And that he would be back in about, like, eight or nine days. Okay? (laughs) Um, Real quick. Yeah, I'll be back in like eight or nine days. Don't worry about it. It'd be a quick trip. So his partner waited the eight or nine days. And of course, there was no sign of Mm O'Brien. So he waited a a couple more days just in case something was, you know, in case he got caught up in something or whatever. And then he was like, you know what? I'm going to go check and see if I can't find him. So O'Brien's partner and another gold prospector that was actually in the area went looking and started walking upstream. Um, And then they eventually found O'Brien on the side of the river. When they came upon his body, it was sitting upright next to a fire pit that was obviously no longer burning. So he was sitting upright, kind of like on his boot, buddy, buddy, his butt, and just kind of just chilling there. They looked at O'Brien's face because he hadn't been deceased that long. So there was no like, and it was like cooler months. So no obvious like decay. Mm -hmm. But they looked at his face and didn't like he'd been uncomfortable or in pain or he'd been afraid or anything like that. It appeared like he had just literally frozen right there on the spot. O'Brien was even holding a matchbook in his hand and looked as almost as if he had been like flash frozen is what they said. Wow. They, of course, called the police and the police, when they conducted their investigation, they found no foul play and determined that he had died of hypothermia but it was just it was a really strange one because he was just sitting next to this like campfire ring that he created and you know did he have his head yeah he had his head it was just it was very strange because he was sitting upright and it was just like like they said it looked almost like he'd been flash frozen yeah like a a vegetable like frozen vegetables get flash frozen (laughs) so right 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 yeah so we are going to now Jump forward another five years to 1926, um, a hunting party that included a young woman named Annie Lafferty. Um, they were up in Headless Valley, had been on a, a couple day excursion, all that fun stuff. 
Um, the group had finally found a place along the river because remember Headless Valley, Second Canyon, really hard to find a, a camp area. Uh-huh. Um, they finally found a place along the river, set up camp, and went to sleep for the night. And the next morning, when they awoke, Annie was nowhere to be found. She's gone, disappeared. Uh, the group spent the rest of that day looking for her, but eventually had to leave. And they then went back and informed police of her disappearance. But police, when they sent out a search party, they had no luck finding Lafferty either. Uh, a few years later, a man was, you know, I think he was like in a shop in a town nearby. Um, and he overheard a group of police talking about Lafferty's disappearance. And when he realized what they were talking about, he realized, oh, I was across the river from this hunting party when they were camped out up in Headless Valley. And it was on the night that she disappeared. So the man, I think they said his name was Charlie too or something. I don't know. He told police of how on that night he was asleep across the river from the hunting party when he was awoken by the sound of small rocks that kept like falling and hitting the water. And he was like, what the heck? Hmm. And, you know, he heard it once, kind of fell back asleep, didn't pay attention. It woke him up again, kind of dozed back off, woke him up a third time. And he was like, what the heck? So when he finally like kind of woke up and rose up a little bit that third time, he looked to his left and saw a woman on all fours, naked, trying to quickly crawl up the hillside, like on her hands and knees, like using her feet and her hands. And she ended up looking over at him. They made eye contact, and he stated that she had a wild and crazed look in her eyes. And because of that look, the man stated that he knew it was not safe to follow her. And so, you know, <laughs> when La- when he came forward with that, the, the police ended up, they're like, we're not going to investigate this any further. You know, it done been like years since she had disappeared, but he supposedly had seen her that night and she was naked and trying to crawl up a hillside on all fours. Very strange. Wow. Wow. In 1931, another gold prospector, because can we just for a minute before I keep going on to these, like after the first few gold prospectors, like, do we not learn that maybe this is not a good idea to go up here? Like, not a good idea at all. Right. Ah, man. It's just it's money, baby. You know, they can't can't stand it. Ah, but yeah, but it's stupid, but they can't stand it. Well, I mean, within 25 years, we've had three, at least three people beheaded we know about. And then like a handful of others that have just disappeared. And it's like, oh, yeah, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. So, all right. In 1931, another gold prospector, because, you know, white men don't learn, named Phil Powers. Right. Decided to try to take the treasures of the Nahani Valley. And he would make it up Headless Valley. He built a cabin and he started his attempt at gold mining, right? So not long after he had started, though, Powers would also become a victim of the Headless Valley. A few months after he had settled into the area, Powers' cabin was found completely charred, burned down, and his dead and partially burned body was found inside. Powers still had his head. However... The origin of the cabin fire is what's really, really strange about this one, okay? Okay. So it, it appeared that the fire started on the roof, like on the far back side of the roof. All right. If it started there, he would have had plenty of time and accessibility to be able to get out of there. But he was found laying in his bed still, 
And it looked like he didn't even, like, get up. This made rumors go around that he was already dead prior to, like, the fire. Right. Now, was he dead of natural causes? I don't know. It's 1931. They don't really do autopsies like they do now. So we don't know if if he died of smoke inhalation, if he died before, and, you know, all that. Now we go to 1936. Two more gold prospectors, William Epler and Joseph Mulholland, tried their luck in the Headless Valley. Shortly after arrival, well, it won't happen to us. No, no, it'll never happen to us. We're getting into the 30s, so we're that transatlantic accent. Yeah, it'll never happen to us. We'll be just fine. They didn't know what they were doing. No, we know exactly what we're doing. All right, so Epler and Mulholland. They said, we're going to try our luck. We're going to get all the gold. Why not? Right. And shortly after their arrival, they had set up camp, you know, all that fun stuff. And then guess what? They go missing. I guess this is kind of, we're kind of getting to the time where people are able to communicate a little better and back and forth. Right. So a search party came to look for them and found their cabin, which guess what? Had burned to the ground. And William and Joseph were never found and the cause of the fire itself was never determined. So, it's fun times. In 1945, Ernest Severd, don't count me on that pronunciation because it's weird. Right. Uh, entered the Headless Valley looking for gold, but never would leave alive either. When This one's really, really weird. So, when Ernest ended up not meeting with some of his like prospecting partners they went to go search for him because he had like taken off on one stretch by himself i was like i'll go look so he didn't meet up with them and so they went after him so they found Ernest along the bank of the flat river lying in his sleeping bag with his head missing jesus police were called of course because we got to call the police obviously yeah but yet again they've been so helpful before yet again they stated he died of natural causes guess what natural cause they said uh, heart attack. Hypothermia or starvation. And they said again that animals had scavenged his head and taken it off. Oh, yeah. Like, what? No. 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 Dude, it's... But that one's the weirdest one. I mean, they're all weird with their heads missing. But this one's really weird because he was like in his sleeping bag still and stuff. In 1946, Jesus. John Patterson went into Headless Valley. And never came out. A search party never found him. But on one of the last nights that they were in the valley. So this is where we're going to start to get a little ooky spooky. So one of the last nights that they were in the valley looking for John. A group of native people came to camp and warned the group about some white figures. That were walking around the valley that night. They informed the group that the white figures were walking through the woods and along the river and to not leave their camp with their fires no matter what they heard. Naturally, the search party freaked the F out, of course, obviously. Yeah. So they then started hearing. So after, you know, the native people had come and they said, hey, you know, you're going to, there's the white figures are out and da, da, da. Don't go out and. You know, if you hear stuff, to just ignore it. Don't go. Don't pay attention. The others. So then after this, like, group of Native peoples leave, they then started hearing distant howls and screams that they had not heard in previous nights. And they also heard whistling. It seemed like whatever it was was trying to intentionally get them to leave. When I talk about white figures and 
howls and screams and whistling, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Native American lore? Ah, uh, spirits? No. Skinwalkers. Oh, skinwalkers. <laughs> but we'll get to that. We'll get to I that. I thought we were never going to say that word. Uh, F it. I'd like to live dangerously. <laughs> so. All right. So our last little weird group here, or last weird disappearance here. In 2005, so within the past 20 years-ish, two experienced Bushmen... David Horsey and Frederick Hardesty vanished from their cabin. They were found a month later in places the search party had already combed through multiple times over. David was in thick brush with unexplained burns on his arms, and Fred was floating in the river. Exactly. Their families were dissatisfied with how the investigation into their deaths went and have been left deeply unnerved quote, and without closure. And per David, David's stepbrother, there were bullet shots all over the place, so the cabin, and there was a gunshot in the floor. The picture is bigger than just two guys, one who died of hypothermia and the other who died of drowning, because that's the cause that the police said, that the one died of hypothermia and the other died of drowning. His stepbrother also says there was something else that happened before all that came down. Yeah. That's on our weird and mysterious disappearances. Now, when I was talking a little about the whole, like, white figures and all that. Yeah. Now we go into Nikki's favorite time, the creature feature, shall we? Okay. When we go back to possible, you're like, okay, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. So, when we go back to possible hauntings and mysterious happenings in the Nahani Valley, there are legends abound about the area. And... They deal with not only the supernatural, but also possible cryptids that might roam the area. And this area is said to encompass a lost world complete with tropical forests and a myriad of mysterious creatures ranging from bear dogs to Sasquatch, or as we like to call them, Bigfoot. So Bear dogs. Bear dogs, yes. Now, to kind of go into the like more supernatural like creepiness type things yes there are reports of white figures or skinwalker type figures that do roam the nahani valley i don't want to go too much in depth into it because as we know skinwalkers are like the one like supernatural thing that really kind of creeps me out but (laughs) there are reports of them and we'll just kind of leave it at that and they think that a lot of one of the big things they think why these people keep showing up burned and like you know missing their heads is because of the skinwalkers but it's not the only cause that they think for it so some people believe the nahani valley is home to a lost world with lush greenery and a tropical climate due to the hot springs generating warm air as well as untapped gold mines and wandering sasquatches so there's a portion of the not i mean the nahani valley as a whole is very like remote people don't hardly go into it right Right. and when they go into nahani valley they're usually sticking to the rivers some people believe that there's this whole section of the nahani valley that's like where they know that there are hot springs and all those type of things that they think that there's like this whole tropical climate you know it's like so nice and luscious and this and that and it's where all these like strange creatures go through Right. Right. So although a Bigfoot utopia is highly unlikely, 
as much as we would all like to, you know, see a Bigfoot utopia, uh, there is something strange that possibly lurks in the Honey Valley. So bear dogs. Bear dogs. Bear dogs were actually a prehistoric animal. I don't think that was what they were actually called, but they were a prehistoric animal. And they were related both to the bear family and the dog family. And they kind of looked like a hybrid between the two creatures. And there were once many different species of in the family of bear dogs, but then they started to like die out and stuff. And the most recent fossils we have from, you know, new world time date to about 2 million years ago. Mm-hmm. So they were probably around like when the mammoths were around and stuff and the saber tooth tigers and so on and so forth. I just had to Google it. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So there is some evidence that bear dogs might have survived, you know, much longer than this in some remote areas. And some people will even argue that one species might even be alive today, kind of like in those Northwest Territories, the super remote areas of Northern Canada. So that's one thing I didn't really mention in my thing. I, 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 I had it. I can't remember why I didn't write it down or why I didn't say it out loud, but like <coughs> most of the Northwest Territories have never been touched by human beings. Yeah. That's or, the... or, or not documented in any way. No. And that's what's so crazy about it because it's just like, insane like how little it's been yeah so now we have the you know we've we've talked about our creepy supernatural skinwalkers we've talked about you know a possibility of like an actual ancient creature the bear dog right now we go into cryptid land because oh boy what's a good what's a good episode of in the pines without at least some mention of some type of cryptid right (laughs) the (laughs) wahi the wahila is the name of a gigantic wolf-like beast that has inhabited the folklore of indigenous peoples from this area for a very long time. It makes me think of, on our cryptid roundup that we did, the Shanka, mm-hmm. whatever it was, the big giant wolf Shanka thing. Yeah. Shanka, yeah, I can't remember what it's called, and please don't kill me, anybody. But it makes me think of that that I covered, you know, on the crypt, one of the cryptids in North, North America, or, well, I guess it would be. U.S. of A. Yeah. The Wahila is described as being uh, like a wolf, but much larger and with a heavier build to it. It is said that the Wahila has supernatural powers and is responsible for many mysterious deaths that have occurred in the Nahani Valley. If the only thing we had to go on was the legends, though, we might be able to ignore the Wahila. But there are apparently like some actual sightings made by, you know, Jubla Americans out there. Um, a mechanic once described this animal as looking like a wolf on steroids, and he estimated its height to be three and a half feet at its shoulders. Gee. The largest wolves ever recorded have been three feet, two inches tall at the shoulder, but giants of the size are very, very rare. If the estimates of that mechanic that apparently supposedly saw it are correct, then this animal was at least four inches taller than the largest known wolf that we know of. Jeez. And its build was too heavy and it was almost bear-like. So it was, you know, wolves are still like, even they're huge animals. Like it amazes me how big they are, right. but they're really quite sleek and they're not like bulky or anything. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but these Wahilas apparently are very like bulky, kind of like a bear, but they are, they look like a wolf, if that makes sense. Jesus. Yeah. Um, and the Wahila that this mechanic saw had like pure white fur and was like super long. Um, other r- reports agree with the general description of above, but they also add more detail. Um, the Wahila, despite the fact that it is a lar- it is larger than a wolf 
Um, it also has shorter legs than a wolf. So it's not as like long legged. Huh? Yeah. So kind of like with that whole bear, you know, Yeah, that's why it's so tall. It's bulky. Yeah. The impressive shoulder height comes from its massive body instead of its legs. Like you just said, um, and its ears are smaller than a wolf's ear. So ears have pretty like tall ears. These are much shorter. Huh. Um, and the tracks that they supposedly leave behind show toes that are set farther away from each other than what a regular wolf's tracks do. The Wahila are never found in packs and they stay in the coldest, most inhospitable environments of the extreme north, apparently. Um, and they favor areas where there are few people. Of course they do, because they're encrypted. <laughs> Can they start fires? Ah, see, that is the question. And we'll get to that. <laughs> so the area where the Wahila is sighted is one of the most remote places in the world. The fact that those lands are completely, like they're pretty much unexplored, means that there is a fair chance of discovering some new kind of animal. So again... The bear dog. Yeah. That's why people think that there's a bear dog. My question is, are what people think they're seeing as a bear dog, they're also called a wahila. So. Right. On the other hand, it might just be another one of those, you know, tall tales. That's what I think. Um, and it doesn't pan out. Mm -hmm. uh, local tribes also report that the Nahani Valley is infested with evil spirits. Like I said, skinwalkers. And certain mm -hmm. other legends attribute the headless corpses by the way, two big hairy monsters resembling the one, the only, Bigfoot. <laughs> Bigfoot. Yeah. So that's, when they talk about like how, you know, there's these bodies that have had their heads removed and then the cabins have been set on fire. That's when a lot of people kind of try to point to Bigfoot or Sasquatch as the culprit in those. Because there are, I think, Dean legends that state... That there is a, you know, a bipedal humanoid huge creature that's covered in fur that has stalked the Dean people for thousands of years. And they know to stay out of the, you know, out of yeah. too deep of the forest so that they don't become victims of it. And this creature can set fire to things and it's very vicious and so on and so forth. So that's where I think a lot of like, you know, people trying to attribute Sasquatch or Bigfoot to these killings, that's kind of where it's coming from, is from the Deneen, Dean legend right. of it. So, um, but you know, if we're talking bipedal humanoids, and if we remember back to what's her face, the uh, what was the one girl's name? Uh, hold on, I gotta get back to it. The, the crawling woman, yeah, the crawling woman. Oh, uh, what yeah, was her name? I don't know, Karen Lafferty or something. Then we might as well just say that, hey. Maybe there's werewolves up in the Northwest Territories, right? Yeah. In any case, I think Not we... Not safe to follow. No. I think we can all agree the Nahani Valley is one that maybe we humans, or at least the white man, need to keep our asses out of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, and that is my telling of the Nahani Valley, um, or as I like to call it, the Valley of the Headless Men. Yay! Uh, that's crazy. I, I was reading something about, like, the early explorers of that area, mm -hmm. and there was one where <laughs> this this one guy, you know, undoubtedly a French or English explorer, uh, he was upset because he couldn't paddle upstream. Are you serious? 
on one of these like large rivers and that he would like paddle up and then whenever he'd get to a rapid he would get out and portage up off the side to get above the rapid and then would paddle where it was flat again and it, it was it, like, it, like but like he was like just toiling away like I just can't believe I can't paddle <laughs> up this stream so in other words he like, was where the, where the, where, you, do you realize where you are so in other words he was like, being a whiny little here? bitch <laughs> Yeah, it's like I'm like it's not like you got dropped off naked and afraid style. It's like you had to get here. You know, that would have been fantastic. You got here pretty. I mean, to get here was pretty rough shit. Yeah, so I don't know, but yeah, uh. that that place. I just, I just didn't. I mean, I always knew it was desolate and you know, it was mm-hmm. a frozen tundra and that kind of thing. But I just didn't really understand, like just like, uh, yeah, there's that whole area and just how it like. Because that, that's something, like, there was so much stuff to go into. Because, like you said, there were there were pools. There were, uh, you know, uh, 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 th- there's no exposed, like, they're, they're not volcanoes. No. But there's magna just underneath it. Just comes from, you know, still cooling from smashing into each other billions of years ago or whatever, you know? Well, and that's the first thing I thought of because with, um, God, what was the mountain I covered? Uh, Mount Shasta. Yeah, with Mount Shasta, like they talked about the lava tubes, right? And so I was like, oh, when I first saw about the caves in the hillside right. of Second Canyon, I was like, well, maybe it's like that. And then I was, when you were going into like, you know, it's not necessarily lava, you know, lava and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how did they get like so many damn caves up through there? Like, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's just the other thing is like, there, yeah, there were so many. Like cavern systems made uh-huh. up because I guess I guess of whatever the limestone that was there, it was like just eroded out, and they had like these huge limestone caves that just run through that whole area through that national park or national reserve. And well, see, that like, makes a little more sense to me because we have, I mean, we have a ton of caves here. Yeah, like in the area I live in. Yeah, but it's because we have so many like natural limestone deposits. There's a whole economy around. Yeah, there. I mean, we have like. Yeah. I mean, just in my media area, within 30 minutes of me, there's two commercialized caves. So, I mean, we got a lot yeah. right here. But still, I mean, that's nuts that there's so many, like, in the hillside that you can see, like, entrances. I don't know. It was, yeah. it's pretty cool. I love that it's a super weird one. But at the same time, it's like, it's weird because the white dudes, like, they knew better. And yet they still did stupid shit. So <laughs> yeah, I just uh, you know you just gotta wonder like did somebody just know the lore behind the headless thing and people just kind of kept doing it or like was there something like again you know, like we said like mm-hmm. there was always stuff left behind. I had even seen something that there was one article I read. And it was the only one I really saw it on. So I was like, I'm not going to really include it. But I had even seen an article where they talked about there was a guy that was finally found like years upon. I mean, we're talking like decades later that apparently was like essentially a serial killer in like gold mining places. Like he would just go in like, yeah, because this was like in the early days of mining. He would go in and like steal people's gold and like kill them yeah. and stuff. And so I was like, oh, well, this is this a case of that? But it's. They never really found foul play at any of the sites. But then again, when they found the bodies, it was like it had been like such long periods of time that really you could only tell that one, their heads were missing and two, that they were 
had been burnt in some way. Yeah. Not all of them, but like a good chunk of them had. So it was like, is it that? Yeah. But I don't know. When we were talking about it, whenever you're like, send word down to my friends that I've found gold. Yeah. You know, like, what the, who the hell, like, like I, I was just thinking about, like, how would you do it? Like, how yeah. would you get word to someone without it getting spread? And then the next thing I was thinking of is, like, you would just, like, I mean, like, I know if I found gold and, like, like, so much that it was, like, send help. I've got gold. Yeah. That, like, I would be sleeping in the mine. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, like, you, you just would just be, like, you wouldn't sleep. You would just be walking around with a gun at all times of the day with a lantern. Like, come on, motherfuckers. Come get it. Well, and a lot of these places, too, they weren't like mines in the traditional sense. Like we think of, they were literally just like yeah. spots set up like on the river. And they're just shoveling into these, what is it, the gold sluices. So it's like yeah. wide open out in the open. Anybody can see it. So it's like, I don't, why you would even yeah. just go with like by yourself or just with one other person just blows my, I'm like, no. This is not smart, but I don't know. No. God. So. Yeah, I bet, I bet so many people were just, like like you said, like they were just murdered outright just because oh, it yeah. was like, oh, they got gold there. I'll go to yeah. go take their gold. And I would say that a lot of this, and it's so funny, too, that like the, the police were like so adamant. Because in everything I read also, the police were very adamant that there was no foul play. And so it's like, what do y'all know that's going on that you don't want to talk about? That's my that's, thought. That's what I like. Also do you think was... it's actually like creepy, weird stuff? Mm-hmm. See, I was thinking like, you know, it doesn't take much to hand a couple of nuggets of gold over to a cop to have some things go away. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And be like, just ignore it. Just look the other way. Because these were like, I mean, especially on when the two brothers especially died. Back then. Yeah. When the two brothers died and then the one dude died, what, like two years later? Right. It was like, it's close enough together that it would be fresh in the police mind yeah. still, but at the same time, they're like, oh, no, it's not connected whatsoever. It's like, bitch, yes, it is. There's, It's got to be. Yeah, it's just one of those like, animals that just eats heads. Yeah, and chars the bodies. <laughs> Burns the bodies yeah, partially. The yeah, totally. I was trying to think, was it so. the... Uh, was it the puckwudgie that would make you lie if you looked at it? Or was it oh, the, or was it the Shunker so. Wonka? There was something that would make you lie. No, it wasn't. It wasn't the Shunka, whatever it was. That was just the the. It was just a giant wolf thing. The Shunka Puck was. Wedges. I think it was yeah, the Pug, I think they were Pug the ones that, yeah, were kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Oh, yeah, Puck wedges. So. Awesome. Sometimes. Well, cool. That's awesome. Yay. Canada. We did it. We did it. Oh, Canada. So now we get flagged. <laughs> no. That was no, horrible. Worry, we're not going to get flagged. Not for that quality of a scene. Uh, no. Not for that. <laughs> oh. You fucker. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, you can always oh find me at Pox Holiday on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And you can find us at In the Pines on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. What about you? You can find me at Hey That Nikki and I K K I on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, woohoo! Happy one year anniversary to us! Yes, so uh, excited. Oh, uh, <laughs> see. Oh, I'll also say, I also have another podcast that sometimes comes oh, yeah. out <laughs> called Pox and Puss. It's uh, at Pox and Puss on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as well. And Just YouTube. about that. 
and, and YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, that's right. We have YouTube now. That, yeah. yeah, I got to pick it back up. But yeah, <laughs> and the YouTubes. And the YouTubes. So. All right, how do we well, end this the thing? Internet, you know, this is a series of tubes. <laughs> I mean, that is a valid point. <laughs> do you remember point. that? No, I don't. I can't say I do. Oh, man. There's there's some, like, it's it's from, like, 2005 or 6, mm-hmm. 7, and it's some senator from, some out-of-touch, like, 80-year-old senator who is, like, giving a slideshow PowerPoint presentation about the Internet to Congress. Okay. And uh, he says, you can think of the Internet as a series of tubes. Oh, Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And boy. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It's it's worth a watch. But anyway. Um yeah, uh let's see. Yeah, how do we start uh how do we Oh, I know how we end it. Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> Some people go in Okay, okay, so some people go into the woods to make memories. And some people go into the woods to be forgotten. Bye y'all.